praise Jesus for his great faithfulness and that his wounds have paid your ransom and mine. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's, that's the mystery of glory. Oh, Lord. Look, I am, uh, I'll be very, very honest with you. I don't know if it's the sleep deprivation or if it was the low lights, but tears were running through my eyes as I watched those pictures and those videos of years past. To think that every Sunday, the thing to do was not to watch some football game, but to put their hands and hearts into the building of a church of God. It's very humbling. Very humbling to know that here at the end of the line, I stand on the shoulders of giants who have gone before. Ah, sorry guys. <laughs> but I just want to praise the Lord today, like I said, for his great faithfulness. 100 years of, of victories, 100 years of, of hard work, 100 years of service, of blood, sweat, and tears. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> um, but God is good. And uh, I just want to thank the Lord and I thank you for your presence here today. I know that stories could probably be told for hours and hours on end. And I look forward to the day where we'll sit around a great banqueting table and tell those stories and not have to worry about the time. Not have to worry about whether potluck is around the corner. <laughs> but God is good. I want to bow our heads together today because I believe we have a hope. So let's bow our heads. Father, you are so good to us. And who are we that you would be mindful of us? God, you have been so present in our lives, whether or not we've recognized it. And today marks such a high day when we can look back and see just the ways you've navigated the course of this, this congregation. Lord, who would have thought, you know, those at the Salida Church, who would have thought that their efforts would have resulted in lives and lives changed for eternity? Amen. But here we are today, 2013, just in awe of who you are and what you've done. And God, we want so badly to hear from you. We have celebrated your works. We have uh, sung of your goodness. And Lord, now we want to hear from your word. And so God, would you please break for us the living bread today? I pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures will now be the spirit who instructs in these scriptures. May the things that are said, may the things that are heard be exactly what your spirit wants to translate to our hearts today. Thank you in advance for the ways you will transform us because we've spent time in your presence. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Let everyone say, amen. amen. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. It's not just a song. It's not just a gimmick. 
It's who we are. It's the defining, it's the defining note of who we are as Seventh-day Adventists. We have this hope. And today the question I want to ask is simply this. How is your hope today? What kind of hope do you have today? We're going to study the Bible together, so I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, go ahead and pull one out from the pew in front of you. But we're going to take a look just at the onset here as an introduction at two New Testament passages. One, it was read for us, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's towards the end. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. It's right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, it's really little, so if you turn a lot, you might miss it. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. So when you find that one, I want you to hold a finger there, put a bookmark, uh, whatever you need to hold your place. And we're also going to compare this with a little letter called Titus. Titus chapter 2. That's also in the New Testament, a little bit to the left of Peter. If you find one book that starts with T, you've found them all. It's the T zone. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, they're in alphabetical order too. All right, Titus chapter 2. So we've got 1 Peter 1 and Titus chapter 2. If you're in both places, say, praise the Lord. All right, good, good. 1 Peter chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2. Let's take a look at Titus first. Oh, did I break it? All right, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the Bible says this. Actually, let's start in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the what age? In the present age. So the grace of God has an implication for how we live today, but notice verse 13. Looking for the, what are the next two words? The blessed hope. It's not just any hope. It's a blessed hope. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that word blessed, it means, uh, it means fortunate. It means evident that you have been blessed and favored by God. The word itself indicates that you, when you're blessed, you are in an enviable position. A position to be sought after, a position to be longed for. When people see you as blessed, they wish, oh, I wish I were blessed too. And so when you have a blessed hope, it's not something to be ashamed about. When you're looking for the second coming of Jesus, it's not something to be, yeah, yeah, you know, the things I look forward to aren't in this life. No, it's a blessed hope. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? He says, if you have hope in this life only, you are of most men most pitiable. But we have a blessed hope that's not just in this life, amen? It puts us in an enviable position, not a pitiable position. That's Paul's perspective, looking for the blessed hope. Now, turn to 1 Peter. What kind of hope is this? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. Have you been born again by the abundant mercy of God today? Praise the Lord. Now notice this. 
His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a what kind of hope? A lively hope? My Bible says a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, since Jesus raised from the dead, the grave does not have the last word. Because Jesus lives, I shall live too. Amen. And that, my friends, is a living hope. A lively hope, one that gives you and me life no matter what kind of circumstances surround us. This is a blessed hope, a living hope. How is your hope today? I think if we were to have a moment of honesty, you and I would probably recognize that at some point in our experience, and maybe that point is right now, at some point in our experience, that lively hope, that living hope, that flame of hope has somehow flickered and even been threatened to fizzle and fade out. You think about it, you know, just just kind of pondering this event that a hundred plus years ago, there were faithful men and women who saw a vision of what they could do and they moved and planted a church in Salida. And they thought to themselves, Jesus is coming soon, the word must go on. The work must go on. And I wonder how many, if we were to go back in time, I wonder how many in that congregation would have imagined that we would still be here a hundred years later. Have you you had that moment where your hope has, has kind of flickered a bit? I remember the very first time that, you know, my kindergarten yearbook my yearbook at Bakersfield Academy, a kindergarten, and, and you know, they had the seniors that said, you know, a class of whatever, 19, I don't even remember what it was. All I remember is that when I saw my picture in the kindergarten class, it said, class of 2000. Some of you are thinking, what? <laughs> class of 2000. And I, I believe that was probably the year, what, 1987 that I probably looked at that yearbook. And I saw that, and my cousin first pointed out, you're going to graduate in 2000. I thought to myself, that's never going to happen. By the time I was in third grade, I was asked to participate in like a, uh, it was a ceremony for breaking ground at Bakersfield Academy. They were actually building a new building for what would eventually be the high school. And I thought to myself, man, I'm never ever going to use this place. That was a hope in the coming of the Lord. And here I am, almost about to celebrate 15 years from graduating, 14, 13, yeah, okay, I'll I'll not date myself too fast. Anyways, but here's the point. How is your hope today? This living hope that the the apostles had, this blessed hope that they they saw the end of all things was near, our institution, our, our pioneers, our forefathers, this living hope has been threatened. And you know that proverb, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow. Oh, oh, let's let's think about this. Let's think about this. (laughs) Hope deferred. That means hope that's put off. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Ooh. You know what that's like? Little Mitch, thanks Jenny for the story. Little Mitch understood that hope deferred was making his heart grow sick. The Hebrew has this idea of hope that is stretched out, that is bent, and it's making the heart grow lame, wounded, diseased, sick. So today I wonder, 
How is your hope? Today I want to look at an Old Testament story. A story that's probably familiar, but it's a story of hope that was threatened. Hope that was stretched out. And so, if you would, let's go to this book of Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers is in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter 13. And we're catching up with a story of the children of Israel. They've just celebrated their second Passover. So they're about a year removed from the crossing of the Red Sea. In Numbers chapter 13, they're getting real close to that land of promise, or you would call it the promised land, Canaan, okay? They're getting so close that they can get whiffs of the milk and honey. They are excited because their living hope is about to be realized. This is good time, right? This is a good thing. And so they, they, they say, hey, let's, let's get some spies. Let's get 12 spies. Go check it out. Survey the land. They didn't have Google Earth to get satellite images. They didn't have text messaging to take pictures and things like that. They needed people to go out and send a report back. So 12 men spent 40 days surveying the land. You remember what happens when they come back. They're not coming back empty-handed, right? Between their shoulders, they're carrying poles laden with Grapes, right? Grapes the size of my head. That's, that's what I imagine. I don't know. But they're, they're carrying these grapes. And, and the people of Israel, they're, they're looking at this. That's what we have to look forward to? Their living hope is growing more alive. And so the Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. It says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us and truly it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. I don't know how big their smiles were. I don't know what kind of giddiness they were feeling. But they continue to tell this story. And in verse 28, that story, this report takes a turn, an unexpected turn for the worse. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. I want you to remember that. The descendants of Anak. Now, Bible scholars, what do you know about the Anakites? They're giants. Okay, okay. So it goes on in verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So here's this story. It started out so sweet. Look, here's milk and honey. It, it's, it's on our clothes. Look, the fruit. This is how big it is. But there are people in our way. And they're huge. It was a good story. And you can kind of tell that this was creating a stir among the children of Israel because in the very next words, notice what Caleb, one of the 12 spies, notice what he has to do. Verse 30. Then Caleb did what? He silenced them or he quieted them down. There was a ruckus taking place. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said... Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Don't you love this guy? <laughs> Let us go up at once. Now, this is, 
you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. The, what I know about Hebrew is that if you speak it, you've got to carry an umbrella because, okay, maybe you haven't heard. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff, okay? And so uh, what I do know is that when you... <laughs> someone got there. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, when Caleb starts talking, he says, let us go up at once. Now, the verb go up, it's Allah. Now, Interestingly, he repeats the verb twice, Allah, Allah, go up, go up. And, and Hebrew does this, the Hebrew language does this whenever it really wants to press a point. And sometimes we do this in the English language. I don't know, maybe your child or, or, or nephew or grandson has come up to you and says, I really want this. And then they say, I really, really want this. Yeah? yeah? Okay. So here in the Hebrew, when it repeats a word just in different forms, Allah, Allah, it's really emphasizing the certainty of going up. And Caleb, he's feeling strongly about this. Let's go up, go up. Like for real, we can go up at once. And that's what he says, let us go up at once and take possession. Have this as our own inheritance. In other words, he knows God has promised this to us, so it's ours for the taking. That's the kind of faith that Caleb had. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able. And actually, the verb for able is a call, and here it's a call, a call. We are able, able, really able to overcome it. So Caleb has a super kind of faith. Or we would say he's got a living hope. And in verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. They totally contradicted that living hope. We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Notice the focus of their faith is completely different than Caleb's. And in verse 32, it says this, they gave the children of Israel a what kind of report does your Bible say? A bad report? Maybe your Bible says an evil report? In other words, the word report, it's talking about slander. They're slandering the character and promise of God. They gave a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Boy, their story has changed. This is its fruit. Oh, this is amazing but we can't do it. <laughs> this living hope that we've been looking forward to is, is really not blessed at all. It's a curse. That's what they're saying to the children of Israel, and the children of Israel are buying into this. And notice, notice in chapter 14 how this is affecting their attitude towards God. Chapter 14, verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return where? To Egypt. They would rather be slaves than be led by God into the promised land. And in verse 9, in verse 9, Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies who are sticking with the story of faith, the only two spies, they, they chime in and they're trying to quiet the people again. In verse 9 it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord. So this wasn't just an attitude problem. This was full-on rebellion. The good report turned bad. Their blessed hope turned cursed. And all of a sudden, 
full-on rebellion breaks out. And you know what ends up happening, right? How many of us can resonate with this experience where the blessed hope has kind of turned on its heels, where that living hope that was so exciting to us, that was so, uh, it sparked so much passion in us, has suddenly become flat and almost foolish to maintain it. We don't have to confess out loud today, but maybe you and I have been there and we've done that. Maybe we haven't considered it full-on rebellion against God, but in our heart of hearts, our hope has not been living at all. But I would suggest that as we continue with this story, there's hope for the hopeless. If you don't have hope today, I pray that as we continue reading, we would find a reason to have living hope. So notice with me the rest of the chapter. Later on, by the time we get to chapter, or chapter 14, verses 20 and onward, we see that God is giving the children of Israel a consequence. He's giving them a judgment. He says, look, you don't think you're able to take possession of the land? Well, then you won't take possession of the land. You, want, you know what ends up happening, right? The children of Israel, they get turned back to the wilderness for 40 years. Each day that they spent out spying the land was to represent a year that they would wander in the wilderness. And God gets even more straight. He says, this generation, 40 plus, you won't get to see it because of your rebellion. Except for who? Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. Now notice... Notice by the time we get to chapter 14, verse 24, God actually singles, singles out Caleb. Notice this. 14, verse 24, the Bible says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a what kind of spirit? Ooh, he has a different spirit, right? The people of Israel, rebellious spirit. Caleb, not so. Joshua, not so. So because he has a different spirit in him and has, what are the next three words in your Bible? Oh, I love it followed me fully. That's huge. Because we can profess to follow God, but do we know what it's like to follow him fully? Here's Caleb, different spirit. He's animated by something completely and utterly and absolutely distinct from the rest of the children of Israel. And that spirit that's in him would actually lead him to follow God all the way to the promised land, even if there are giants in it to follow him fully. And so here's Caleb. And in verse 30, it says, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. So here's Caleb and Joshua. But we're, we're, I, I want to zero in on Caleb just for a moment because here's Caleb, a man full of hope, and now he hears that he's got 40 more years before he sees that land again. Talk about hope deferred. Makes the heart grow sick. And Caleb takes it like a man. <laughs> and he wanders with the children of Israel. No complaint from his mouth has ever been recorded. Amen. And Joshua and Caleb hang on to a blessed hope. Amen. They hang on to a living hope. And if you turn with me just a few books later to Joshua 
chapter 14, I want us to see something. Joshua chapter 14, we are fast forwarding the tape now 40 years later. And Joshua is now commander in chief. Moses has already died. Joshua has led the children of Israel over the Jordan into the promised land. They've already conquered this area, that area, this king, that king. And now they're divvying up the land to the different tribes of Israel so they can take possession of their inheritance. And as Joshua is getting ready to get this system going, he's already divvied out the land east of the Jordan to the two and a half tribes over there. And now he's about ready to, to distribute the rest of the land. And here comes his old compatriot, Caleb. Now Joshua is 80 plus years now. He's the oldest man around. And Caleb, second to him, comes up to him in verse 6. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. He's reminding Joshua of that awesome affirmation. Now notice with me in verse 11. No, excuse me, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Can you say amen? This is an 80-year-old who has just been walking in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay? And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. Verse 11, I love it. And yet, as I am, excuse me, as yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. <laughs> I love it. Oh. Okay. Oh. Now, I don't know how many of us have ever experienced that supernatural sustenance of God. But this 85-year-old is saying, I can do laps around these 40, these youngins, you know? And so he's saying, look, I am as strong as I was back then, running the hills, spying things out. I am as strong as I was back then. And in verse 12, he says, now therefore, old chum, you know, he puts his arm around Josh. Now, let's talk. Let's make a deal. Verse 12. What kind of deal is this man full of living hope looking for? What, what do you think? You know, after this deferred hope, is, is he going to look for the most luxurious spot in the promised land? Is he going to kind of take seniority over things? What, what's, he, what's he looking for? Verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the who? The Anakim, the giants, were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Amen. He saw the giants. He saw them when he was 40 years old. He knew he was a grasshopper compared to them, yet when he came back, he said, we are well able to go up and take that land. He was full of faith. That was a living hope. And 45 years later, that hope still burned in his heart. And he looked at that mountain and he said, I can do this by the grace of God. He was willing to follow the Lord fully. And here we are. Hope deferred sometimes makes my heart grow sick. 
And I wonder, are we able to go? Caleb says we are well able. Hmm. How is your hope today? How is your hope today? Maybe your hope has taken turns, downturns, twists. Maybe you have experienced bumps in the road, things to cause you disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. But Caleb is saying, even if you've been wandering for 45 years, that hope is still alive. That hope will give you life. That hope is enlivening and emboldening for the cause of God. So, is it true? Could it be that you and I have this kind of hope that burns within our hearts? If so, then what mountains have yet to be taken possession of? Whether in your heart, Whatever footholds of the devil may, may remain in your own personal sphere. What, what mountains, what giants need slaying in the, in the lives around you? What impossibilities have turned your hope into a flicker that today you want to say, no, 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 we are well able to go up and take possession of the land. Amen. Friends, whether you're five 55 or 85, there is work to be done. I grew up uh, in an Adventist home, praise the Lord. And, and I grew up with a hope that when this gospel of the kingdom shall be taken to all the world as a witness to all nations, then the end shall come. There is still work to be done. There are hills with giants that other people might tremble over. But God has called you and I to be Joshua's and Caleb's in this day to have a living hope. Do we have this hope? Friends, simple appeal today. Maybe some of us are in the boat where our hope has died out. Maybe some of us are in the boat where our hope has been discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned and deferred. And you might have plenty of excuse to let your hope grow sick and diseased. Friend, if that is you, I appeal to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As Caleb did, he, he didn't focus on the weakness of his, own, uh, of his own stature. He didn't focus on the insufficiency that they had in comparison to the giants. He didn't focus on man's weakness. He focused on God's power and his promise. If you've been disillusioned, I appeal to you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe there are some of us here today who, whose, whose hope isn't hope in the coming of the Lord. In fact, we've actually, our mental framework, our spiritual framework has actually centered itself on another hope. A hope that is in this life, or a hope that is in this relationship, or a hope that is in this ambition, or that proposition. Friend, if, if your hope has been misplaced, then I would urge you to follow the Lord fully and fix your faith on Jesus. Let your hope be in that which is not just in this world, because if that is the case, you of all men 
are most to be pitied. But friends, we have a blessed hope and a living hope. So I don't know where you're at today. If your hope has been discouraged, fix your eyes on Jesus. If your hope has been displaced, fix your eyes on Jesus. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Friends, today, wherever you are, I pray that if you want to take up this hope, the same hope that Caleb had, and say, yes, we are well able to take possession of the land. If you want to take up this kind of hope that, that actually enlivens you and emboldens your faith to do things that you thought were impossible because of your age, because of your insufficiency, because of whatever, if you de desire to have the same living hope that Caleb himself had, that Joshua himself had, then I would just encourage you to stand to your feet with me and say, yes, Jesus, we do have this hope that burns within our hearts. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to pray together and consecrate ourselves in this living hope. Father in heaven, you have given us so much to live for. Yes, you have blessed us with life to the full, abundant life in the present, but even more, our eyes are fixed on that heavenly kingdom. God, please, uphold our discouraged hearts, if they may be. Lord, if there are hearts, uh, if there is faith in this congregation that is frail, that is fragile, that needs to be bolstered, I pray that you would give us tokens of your loving kindness. God, remind us of your promises and the fact that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, cause us to see beyond those things. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we follow the Lord fully. Lord, we also give you permission just to reorder the very priorities of our own hearts. If we have fixed our hope on other things, God, please forgive us. Please redeem us. Please give us the priorities of Jesus our Savior. And Lord, I pray especially for those of us who may feel uh, because hope has been deferred, if our spirit, if our soul has become weak and sick and faint-hearted, Lord, I pray for the miracle that you performed for Caleb, whose strength was as it was back when he was younger. Lord, I pray that this living hope would be a fountain of youth, that as we fix our eyes on the mission you have yet before us, Lord, may we press forward in full strength and confidence, knowing that we are able to take possession. And so, God, we're thanking you by faith for that renewal and revival of strength. We're thanking you by faith for the ways that your mission here in Modesto and beyond is going to be pushed forward, for the ways that the gates of hell are not going to be able to overcome. Lord, we thank you for the ways that souls will be saved. We thank you for the ways that Jesus will be glorified because of the hills that we will conquer, because of the land that we'll take, because of the living hope that you are burning in our hearts. Father, this is our prayer in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen.